Residential Lighting Specialist to Arthur Residential Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. This week, Ted Green joins us from Metuchen, New Jersey, where he is president of the Stratacon Group, a strategic marketing company for the consumer electronics industry. Ted's career spans more than 30 years, all in the CE business. His work has taken him from mass merchant and specialty retailing to manufacturing, distribution, and now strategic marketing and journalism. He may be best known for his influential and sometimes controversial strategy newsletter, which gained a ton of new subscribers recently thanks to his reporting on the challenges facing CDA Expo planners as the COVID-19 Delta variant led to a mass exodus of exhibitors just before that show. I consider Ted a good friend, and I appreciate how he ruffles feathers in the industry, just as long as I'm not the subject of any of his stories. <laughs> Ted Green, welcome to the podcast. What? I can't do a Jeremy Glowacki expose? Hey, you know, when, when, I, when I parted ways with my last um, employer after 20 plus years, I did get my first taste of being part of a story with you. Right. And I thought, oh, this is what it feels like to be quoted by Ted Green and have him say, can I put you on the record? Is that on? <laughs> is yeah. that the record? I'm like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like being on the other side of the story. I like reading. Usually journalists are my toughest interview. They're so they're so not used to talking about themselves or their situation. They're so used to being the questioner, not the questioned. So, uh, but you were you were fine. You did a great job. Hey, well, thank you. And it, it was it was interesting to go from hey, we're going to have the most candid conversations off the record behind the scenes, gossiping about people we do and don't like, and stories that just kind of get us annoyed. And everything's just between friends. And then all of a sudden. Wait, you're quoting me on something. Uh oh. <laughs> so, anyway, hey, you and I were um, on the uh, same press uh, call yesterday with with a company called Rust Sound. Uh, we were indeed audio company, yeah. And uh, I couldn't interact much because I was in the car, uh, which I rarely am when I'm on those calls because I really like to be at my desk. And I had to pick up my daughter at school. So I got there early and, and logged into Zoom and thought I could just be kind of hidden in the background. And then they, they're they like, hello, are you there? And I had to show my face briefly and then go back to the, the still image. But uh, Russ Sound's CEO um, <laughs> made a little crack about your beard. And I thought that was... <laughs> <laughs> uh, like a little bit of a questionable thing. Hey, you're dealing with Ted Green here. Do you really want to be joking about about his beard? He's going to put you on the record next. <laughs> but I was mostly annoyed because it took away my first question, which was what you're going to dress up for as Hall for Halloween this year. Ah, uh, yes, we are at the spooky time of the year, aren't we? Yeah, I was going to um, ask you if it's uh, Charles Darwin, David Letterman, or Santa Claus, but then. <laughs> Like <laughs> the Santa Claus joke was already taken, so I can't do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm, as you could probably tell yesterday, I'm, I'm a little over the Santa Claus thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, don't poke him. That's not good. He does not like that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I got this. Uh, I got a mask that's a skeleton mask. And, it, you know, masks generally don't work well with beards. But no. this one, this one, because it's a black mask with silver uh, uh, paint on it. Uh, and my beard, actually, I know to a lot of people looks white. It's actually a silver beard. It actually looks kind of freaky that there's a, 
like the skeleton's got a beard. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. We'll see. I, I don't know how many kids we're going to get because here in New, New Jersey, New York, New Jersey, we're supposed to have a washout weekend. I mean, Friday, mm. Saturday, and Sunday, uh, we're getting some remnants of some storm coming up the coast. So I, I don't know if we're going to see very many kids, but uh, yeah. you know, I have four kids and ha- Halloween was always a, a, a family favorite. Uh, we all went out, uh, my wife and, and me and all the kids. And uh, um, so, you know, we enjoy Halloween. Yeah, we're, we're getting that weather right now in the, the Midwest that's headed your way. And it's fortunately going to clear out of here before Sunday. So we're lucky, but you're I think you're going to feel it pretty much yeah. there. Yeah, we've had a couple of big storms lately. So, yeah, for sure. Well, I, I wanted to kind of start off with the big story. I sometimes bury the lead, but this one. Uh, you, you really were were uh, a name that was coming up a lot during Cedia uh, lead up to Cedia <laughs> Expo, and it, it, it was it was like our country. It was fifty fifty. Maybe maybe you're more on the positive side, but but there are those who are like blaming Ted Green for the the Cedia demise, and others saying thank you Ted Green for doing this this uh, this tough job of just helping us figure out who's going to be there and wh- whether it's worth traveling to the show. I was right. on that side and. Frankly, between peers at Cedia when we went, we were all saying, hey, that, that he was doing the hard work that we weren't able to do just because of whatever. Some of right. it political, some of it just, you know, you're already doing it. So why duplicate efforts? So I was feeding you what I knew when I'd get a cancellation and things like that. But what did right. that do for you? I mean, it seems like it really increased your subscribers to your newsletter for one. Yeah, uh-huh. it, 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 uh, so I am very aware of the controversy surrounding it. From my perspective, I was doing what I do, which is that I would hear that a manufacturer was announcing that they were going to pull out of the show and I would report it. Uh, what I did was a little bit unique that time, um, because the show was approaching rapidly and it was a, it was a, it was a, uh, it's always a big event, but it was made even bigger because of the controversy swirling around the rise of COVID and, uh, you know, whether ven- whether exhibitors were going to continue to exhibit or whether, were gonna, whether they were going to pull out. So I actually started going to uh, daily postings and actually I posted in real time from morning till night. Anytime I heard, I'd drop whatever I was doing and I would, I would change. Uh, I had both a listing and then I also had a map and I would list them on the list and, and then indicate uh, with a red X on there, uh, uh, the map of the exhibit floor. Uh, the booth that was uh, just pulled out. And uh, I also started doing daily newsletters. I usually do a once a week newsletter. Uh, I went to doing daily newsletters because there was a, there was quite a bit of thirst for this. And um, you're right. I mean, it's a very polarized country right now. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't being, uh, I, I was not attempting to be judgmental in any way, shape or manner. I was really just trying to report the news. You know, when I called up a company to find out if they were, uh, planning on to going ahead with their exhibiting or whether they were going to pull out, it didn't matter to me what their answer was. Mm. If it was, yeah, we're staying in, we're gung ho, we're, you know, and, and I certainly ran into those. Great. I, I, you know, I didn't, obviously I didn't put them on that list. They were on the list of exhibitors. Uh, if they said, no, we're, we've decided we've made the tough decision to, and decided to pull out, then I would put them on the list. So it, it really didn't matter to me, but, um, yeah, there was some controversy surrounding it. I got everything from literally somebody telling me I killed the show. I don't <laughs> think I have that much power. But the, 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 and then I, but at the same time, 
I mean, I was getting emails and phone calls of people that said, you know, uh, God bless independent journalism, that uh, uh, they were hungry for this news. They were having trouble finding this information. They were hearing rumors. They wanted fact. Uh, I tried to double check every listing. In fact, I didn't list it unless I I was able to double check it. Um, And it got easier as it went on because eventually the exhibitors themselves would contact me and say, I want to let you know that we've decided we're going to pull out, made it a little bit easier. Um, I would say at the end of the day, it it probably ended up, uh, you said 50, 50. I, I want to say it was probably more, maybe not two to one, but, but more Mm -hmm. favorable to having this, this coverage. And even, uh, if you look on my website and you look on the comments, um, there was, uh, 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 a person who posted on there that we decided to go ahead and exhibit, but we just wanted you to know we appreciated your coverage because it helped us, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, like manage expectations, or manage our, like yeah, yeah, exactly. We knew what to expect yeah. when we got there based on this coverage. So we appreciate that. So um, it did a lot for me. Um, it, uh, as you know, I've been doing this since 2007, my newsletter and my website, and um, I have a lot of big stories I've covered over the years. Um, this story now, and when I look at my stats, is the biggest story I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And it was the biggest story I'd ever done in two and a half weeks. I've got mm-hmm. stories that continue to draw, as you know, right? Electronic journalism, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about the long tail. We talk about how we post something and uh, people will read that for weeks, months, and maybe even years down the road. Uh, doing searches on various brands, for example, and, and, and reading our story. Um, so I've got stories that have been out there soaking for years and, and have pulled big numbers. And this just blew by them all in two and a half weeks. Uh, so uh, it, it was great in that regard. It also has brought me, uh, you know, as you, as you mentioned in your in, a great introduction, by the way, I appreciate that. Um, uh, I have two parts of my company. I have a marketing uh, a company that uh, assists largely small and medium-sized businesses in strategic marketing. And then I have what I call my publishing division, which is uh, strategy.com newsletter, and then a once a week, uh, um, a strategy.com website, and then a once a week, the, uh, a newsletter. It has brought me, uh, you know, I'm in the process right now of uh, finalizing two new sponsors. And I am in discussions right now with three new clients um, so it brought a lot of attention uh, to what I was doing. In my mind, I was trying to be fair and independent and just simply report the news. I know that some people interpreted that as me being critical. I think that was just the way they were reading it. I don't think that was the way it was written. To me, the news was this brand has decided to pull out. If another brand didn't, that was fine too. So uh, yeah, it was a huge story. Well, I think that um, you typically have a an approach which is more like digging for some underlying truth that others maybe aren't exploring or that could be seen as controversial or whatever it is. But this time that was about as straightforward of a story that I think I've read of yours other than just uh, reporting on a new product that we all report on and there's really nothing to dig into. But I wouldn't say that you were making any kind of claims or, uh, editorializing a whole lot in that story. You're frankly just reporting what was happening as it happened and letting keep people kind of 
have a tally of who was going to be there and who wasn't going to be there. So uh, I thought that was interesting that that caused so much controversy for some people, um, whereas it's really not that much like that you were adding from a commentary standpoint. Um, I, there are other stories that, I mean, you, you've, you've explored some things with Cedia. Um, there have been folks who haven't been happy over the years with the association. Um, and you, you've had to do a little digging there. I know the recent story that you did where you're looking at their, uh, their tax um, uh, filing for uh, the, the uh, I'm trying to think of the term. So your nonprofit filing. Right. Uh, and, and, and just, I, I had to do a double take on them like 2019. Why are we talking about 2019? Because it takes a while for those forms to be submitted. You get uh, extensions and that sort of thing. So, right. Um, and especially now because of COVID, there was an extra extension. IRS gave everybody extra extension, extra time because of COVID, yeah. because many of the businesses, normal uh, processes had been disrupted. So they were given extra time. But yeah, we're looking today at something that happened two years ago. Yeah. So, you you know, in that story, I thought it was it was really interesting to see the um, co-CEOs, interim CEOs both respond and try to help you through what it was that you're confused or concerned about there and their their results. And uh, I thought that was that was nice to see them involved as opposed to uh, past years when you were given a little (laughs) bit. (laughs) They kind of blocked you from all of their correspondence at a certain point. uh, Different leaders. So so good, good, good on them for not uh, ducking (laughs) your questions. Right. Right. That's something that you just follow that you see as a way to gain more interest or access to what's going on with the trade association that kind of is at the heart of our industry. A lot of times people are giving you information like, hey, I'm concerned about this. Can you look into it? So it's not like you're just out there digging for fun. You're right. You're, you're trying to follow a lead that someone has sent to you. And I, I think when you create those types of stories or write those types of stories, people see you as that person, whereas that's not really my my approach. So most people don't come to me for that type of story. Um, so is, is that how a lot of it happens where you, you get a little extra tip from someone and say, hey, let's look into this. Yeah. I mean, um, my style is really informed by my career. Um, and, uh, I have a, I think, uh, again, and a lot of it, you touched on in your introduction. I, I've had an unusual career where I started in retail, uh, and, uh, I started first in a mass merchant retail. Then I went to a specialty retail. Then I went to a specialty manufacturer, uh, and then I went to a larger scale manufacturer and then I became uh, the head of a national distributor group. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, I call it sort of my circle of life. What's, <laughs> inter- what's interesting is most people tend to specialize. Yeah. So, if, you know, if you're uh, if you're into factory sales, you know, most people, that's their entire career is uh, sales reps or factory direct reps. Uh, and, and, you know, and that's that's the more common route. Um, and when you, whatever role you have, you have a certain outlook or, or perspective to a certain degree, we all have blinders on. I mean, you do that just to some degree to get, keep the noise blocked out and keep focused on what you're doing. But when you've gone from position to position, you see everything from, you know, from a broader perspective. So, um, generally the people that get upset with me can only see things from one perspective, Mm. which is. You know, uh, this is our message, and you know we don't we don't want anything other than just what that message is. Um, but what I try to remember, uh, what I try to remind everybody of is that look, um, 
you have a lot of stakeholders. So if it's a, if it's an announcement from a manufacturer, for example, uh, uh, you know, you have a lot of stakeholders. You, yes, you have your message, but you've also got um, dealers. I mean, I was a retail buyer for a while. So, you know, we felt, uh, uh, you know, a strong connection with our brands. They were important to us and, and decisions they made could positively or negatively affect us. And very often when they craft their messages or they make their decisions, they can often forget uh, about these other uh, stakeholders, whether it's their dealers, whether it's their salespeople, whether it's their marketing team, whether it's their operations. Because I've had that whole circle of life experience, it's easier for me to see that. And, mm-hmm. and my personal philosophy is, you know, we're, none of us are gods. We're all men. We all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. Uh, strategy and Stratacon, you know, we're not perfect. I mean, if you'd like to hear all the things we do wrong, you know, I hope you have a long time because it's been a long career. I've done a lot of wrong things. My theory is, uh, and, and, and some of this comes from, uh, you know, for 14 years, I worked for a Japanese company and they have this really interesting philosophy of everything in balance. And, you know, my, my philosophy is, if I, if I completely reveal myself, my strengths and my weaknesses, and then let you make a choice, if I've done well, you know, my strengths will speak to you and more than my uh, weaknesses. And I think that's true of manufacturers. Let's tell them everything and let's ma- let them make uh, uh, their own decision. Let me just give you one quick example. Okay. There, was, there was a story. This is I'm going back several years now and a couple of owners ago. Uh, I got a call from somebody who said, uh, you know, uh, they just had mass layoffs, right, at Boston Acoustics, mm. okay? And this is when they were part of another organization that they're no longer a part of. Um, and uh, that's not even really an important part of the story. Now, that person wa- wanted me to do a hit job on Boston Acoustics. And was he was angry. He was one of the ones obviously let go. I called... Uh, the company that owns Boston Acoustics and and uh, spoke to them and said, uh, you know, what can you tell me about this? Uh, and so they, you know, uh, this is actually a long story, but I'm going to give you the truncated version. Uh, uh, basically, they explained it was a, they had acquired the company. There were some redundancies with, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. It was a management decision. So I wrote the story. And in the story, I included really both perspectives. Um, there was a layoff. They didn't announce it. That was a uh, a little opaque. I would have preferred they be a little more transparent uh, and 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 explain why they had to do this and maybe you know talk about the packages and what they were doing, helping re uh, you know uh, relocate uh, some of their employees or whatever. For whatever reason, they didn't want to do that. Um, but I wrote the story and I explained both sides, right? And I knew I got it right because both sides were angry with me. <laughs> The employee wanted me to roast them. I didn't roast them. I, you know, but at the same time, they weren't happy I wrote this story. And, and, you know, but I got their message out about how this was a, a business decision commonly made when one company acquires another, there's uh, redundancies that need to be eliminated and, and, and costs that need to be controlled. And that to me is, is sort of my perspective. I write a lot about the business side of the business because I'm a businessman and I've been in business for, a long time. And actually 30 years, I think you probably got that from my website. I need to change that. It's actually probably closer to 40, but I'll go with 30. I like that. And uh, uh, 
I like to write about the business side of the business. So much of our industry is these kind of cozy arrangements where, uh, you know, you wash my back, I'll wash yours. And, and, and what, what the messaging that's put out there is, is uh, not always the, the whole truth. Okay. And um, so what I like to do is, for, you know, uh, I, I've had people say to me, you know, you should support the industry. You should be more rah, rah and support the industry. And, you know, and I think you and I talked about this. I don't, I don't really view my role as supporting the industry. I view my role as supporting my readers. I talk to my readers almost every day, sometimes all day long. And, um, and I think I have a pretty good feel for, you know, what it is they're looking for. And in most cases, really all they want is the truth. No matter how, you know, angry somebody's with me about a story I've written, I'm, they can never say that, uh, you know, I made it up or it's a lie or it's untruthful. I don't publish any point that I haven't independently verified from multiple sources. So you may not have wanted it out there, but it's not untruthful. It, it's a truthful situation. And so, you know, this has been, you know, really my commitment to to my readers. And, and I also think that, you know, the example I think I gave you was another former editor who had criticized my position on 3D televisions. I felt it was a gimmick. I didn't think it was the right thing to do. Um, and, you know, the, the comment that they, they, they gave to me was, look, you should, you've got to support this industry. This is part of what we have to do in media is we have to support the industry. You know, I think we're much better as an industry if we deal with reality than if we try to all subscribe to a mutual fiction that yeah. we then try to foist on the, on the, the customer. So uh, I would rather deal with uh, the reality of all of our developments and try to work collectively together uh, to for everybody to improve, for the industry to improve. I guess in my way, that's how I'm trying to support the industry. But mainly, I just want to give my readers uh, more facts, more details, uh, maybe a little bit of perspective. Sometimes, for example, when I do... Uh, um, some of my reporting on public companies that have released, uh, let's say, a quarterly report. Um, and, you know, I've come to recognize some of the tactics they use uh, to sort of smother bad news and trumpet great news. And, you know, um, I try to unpack that mm -hmm. so that, you know, you may still have a good feeling about that company. You know, again, none of this is sometimes people will say to me, what do you have against Emerald Exposition? I don't have anything against Emerald Exposition. Or in the past, people would say, what have you got against Cedia? I have nothing against Cedia. You know, uh, you know, I have, uh, I'm a big supporter. I don't have a horse in that race. It's not like there's some other association I want to promote, uh, you know. But I'm a big believer in truth and I'm a big believer in transparency and I'm a big supporter of that. And so, you know, I try to bring that to the conversation. And, and so that's, you know, that's sort of an approach that is informed from my, my background. Absolutely. That's the approach I've always taken in mind. Ted Green and I will continue our conversation after the break. Do you want superior smart home automation at a great value? Shelly Wi-Fi relays by Alterco Robotics cover DC to line voltage, allowing you to control lights, outlets, appliances, garage doors, pumps, and much more. There are Shelly sensors and power measurement devices to help you measure temperature, humidity, lux, or motion. 
and electrical consumption from single wire to three phase with neutral. You can use Shelly with a licensed driver for Control 4, Elon, or other premium systems, as well as your customer's existing hub, voice assistant, or any platform that accepts REST, MQTT, or CoAP. Shelly can make IoT very easy. Available now at Blackwire, City Electric Supply, and Worthington, or at ShellyUSA.com. Welcome back. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, and I'm talking with Ted Green, president of the Stratacon Group. Uh, Ted, you were kind of talking about the circle of life of your career. And uh, one of the things, uh, the, the first time I remember, I think, meeting you was when you were executive director of the Advantage Group, um, yep. which yep. was yep. a distribution group. But then really, we worked a lot more together directly when you were representing um, DPL Labs, Jeff Brocaccio. I think we we kind of had a lot of interaction at that point. Um, right. That, that was one of those times when I uh, I was like, wait, what is this guy doing? He's kind of a reporter like me, but then I'm talking to him like he's a, a publicist <laughs> for this other guy. So so you you do have that kind of varied career and even role within the industry to this day. So it's been it's been interesting to see how you become kind of a hybrid <laughs> um, person in, in the business. So I think a lot of our traditional roles are changing, and a lot of that is coming from changing in te- changes in technology. For example, when I was the vice president of sales and marketing at Onkyo, the uh, the most common method that we would communicate with our dealers is, let's say we had a dealer special or whatever, our new model was going to launch. We would uh, write up a notice about it. We would fax it to our sales reps. They would fax it to all their dealers and then their orders would get mailed into us. Hmm. Okay, this this was the most efficient way to communicate with our dealers on on matters of that nature. Now it's all instantaneous. It's emails, e blasts. Um, you know, they turn it around instantaneously. Uh, this is you know, this is all how technology has increased efficiency efficiencies, but also changes pro, change processes and procedures. I think this has been one of the factors that's affected trade shows. Um, it used to be you had to go to a trade show to see the new line, all right? But now manufacturers are presenting their new products almost on a continuous basis with Zoom meetings or, uh, you know, conference calls with their dealers um, all the time. So yeah. it, it tends to change you know, change the dynamics, if you will. I think that there is um, a chance that we wouldn't need any of that in-person sort of meeting at all if it weren't for personality types. That's my theory is like you, certain people just have to be around other people. Um, Right. I, I, I would be just fine with doing most of my work stuff remotely, digitally, uh, virtually. Um, Of course I want to have, one-on-one friendships and things like that. Sure. And, but uh, people just have to get out and, and be around people at these events. And I find them exhausting. You get a lot out of them, but uh, you can also just get drained by them. The Infocom show is going on right now. And I was just so happy to see other people there and not have to be there myself. So uh, <laughs> uh, so what? what is it that... In when you're just focused on the Stratacon group and the, right. the strategic marketing part of what you do, um, right. let's say you sign a new client, and I'm assuming you'd work with manufacturers mostly these days, or it, does it vary in different roles in the company, in the industry? Yeah, it varies quite a bit. 
predominantly, I guess, if you looked at the totality of all the clients I've had over the years, and I started the Stratacon group back in 1999. So I've had, you know, lots of clients over the years, mostly, I would say manufacturers, but I've also done distributors, and Mm -hmm. I've done a couple of uh, integrators. And uh, so I've, I've worked in different roles over the years. And what do you do with them? What what does strategic marketing involve? Hmm. Uh, it's a great question. And the answer is, it's be, because I focus on small to medium-sized businesses and because we're in the technology industry, uh, I, I, I basically interview them to determine what are their most critical needs for marketing. Most of the uh, people in our industry really don't have a marketing background. They usually have a technology background. Mm-hmm. They're either engineers or they're technology enthusiasts. Uh, some of them are have some more operational backgrounds, but they don't really have marketing background. They don't really understand marketing. Uh, and, and so what I try to do is I try to interview them. And as I put it, you know, Stratacon is a programmable organization. So, you know, we we have connections to either directly or through uh, partnerships. Uh, provide any form of whether it's social media or whether it's traditional print advertising or whether it's online digital media, uh, whatever whatever they need. Step one is to determine just what is their priority, what are their goals. And the other thing that Stratacon brings, the reason I started Stratacon, which is a no, another whole story in and of itself. Um, when I was, the, again, the VP at Onkyo, uh, we had a seven-figure budget for advertising. So this, this allowed me to talk to some of the biggest advertising agencies in New York City. We, we, we were small by comparison to major, major package goods companies, but pretty big in the, we were a top 10 company in, in electronics. So, uh, and it was, I always had this frustrating interaction where you would interview agencies, hire agency, and then for the next few months, they're pretty worthless because mm-hmm. They understand advertising and advertising technology, but they don't really understand your industry, number one, and then your position, your role in the industry, number two. I would spend, you know, literally weeks of my time teaching my advertising agency about our industry, about our role in the industry and what our strengths and weaknesses are, what our competitive advantages are, and, and, you know, before they could produce idea number one. So that was frustrating for me. And when I decided to go out on my own, I wanted to flip the script and I wanted to be able to go to somebody and say, look, I completely get this industry. I understand it. Let me start right now with some good ideas for you mm-hmm. right from day one. And um, and that's that's been a big part of it. The other part is that, uh, so they don't necessarily understand marketing. Another, another uh, common um, uh thing that I see is people tend to be tactical. So, you know, oh, uh, you know, my competitor lowered his price 10%. We got to lower our price 10% or 12%, even worse. Right. <laughs> and, and, and this kind of tactical constant, you know, tit for tat kind of arrangement. Uh, I try to break that cycle and I say, look, let's, let's try to think more strategically. Let's, let's not worry so much about what happens today. Let's see how we can make your company be the number one call brand in three years. Uh, and and if I can, if I and it's very hard to get somebody who's a tactical player to look at, at solutions strategically. But if you can get him to look at it strategically, this is where you can start to move mountains and make a real impact on a brand. So I'm very much about while I can do all of the tactical things, I'm very much about branding, brand definition, 
uh, and and um, marketing to support your brand. And um, it's surprising how many people really uh, don't understand or appreciate uh, the power of a, a really good brand. It, you know, I, I tell people, you know, we had a great run at Onkyo and and during my period anyway. Um, and, um, you know, it's 90 percent of that was just because we had a really solid brand. It was well appreciated and understood, high quality, high value, uh, perfectly positioned between high end lines and mainstream products. And it just fit a real niche for our dealers. And if we carefully picked our dealers, the right partners who had the right need uh, that we fit perfectly, it would be a powerful relationship that would last for years. So uh, I try to bring that kind of perspective. It uh, doesn't always work. Sometimes, you know, people just can't make that transition. But when it when it does, it can be, you know, magic. So you've had so many different roles. And there that was a, a pretty big one for you there at Onkyo. And right. you were in sales and marketing uh, VP right. role. Um, what brought you to that level of role? You didn't study marketing in school. I see you got your degree in telecommunications, like would right. basically broadcasting, right? That's what I got at yes. the University of Georgia. You went to Michigan State. So right. communications degree, uh, journalism degree. What? Um, how did you get involved in technology? Was it kind of just because of that touching on broadcast stuff or um, how, what led you into see this consumer electronics business to begin with? Well, ironically, when I was at Michigan State University, uh, you know, as part of their program, their curriculum included, uh, you know, things like marketing and advertising. And, and oddly enough, I mean, a lot of my colleagues were sort of bored stiff in these classes and I found them fascinating, mm. uh, you know, and, 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 and not just what the ad was, but what the thinking was behind it, what the strategy was, what was the, you know, at that time, and I'm really dating myself, but the uh, Scott Paper Company was almost out of business. And then they did this series of, of commercials uh, called Don't Squeeze the Charmin yeah. uh, they, for Char- Charmin Toilet Paper. And it just completely turned, you know, I hated those ads, but... <laughs> You know, they worked because when you were staring at a row at an aisle in a grocery store of about, you know, 20 different brands of toilet paper, none of them stuck out, you know, stuck out in your brain except for Charmin because of those commercials. Mm -hmm. So I I love that kind of stuff. And um, uh, after college, I was a professional musician for a few years. Mm. I love music, too. And I I studied electronics in uh, high school. So... um, you know, our industry for somebody like me was the perfect solution, right? My love of electronics, my love of music. And uh, and then I'd gotten training uh, for uh, general business and, you know, also marketing. And uh, I love that too. I love the business side of that too. So uh, after I left, uh, after I got tired of being on the road, uh, you know, uh, a lot of stories there too. <laughs> That's fair. That could be a podcast unto itself. But uh, <laughs> uh, after I left being on the road, I had met my girlfriend, who is now my wife, and, um, you know, uh, had to get a job. So I got a job working selling stereos for a mass merchant. And, you know, I suddenly realized this was my element. So long mm-hmm. story short, then I le- then when I left there, I, I went to a, speciali- a specialty uh, AV specialist. Uh, audio specialist at that time. And they had, you know, 
even better gear. And I realized how much I love that. And then it was just my love of the industry. And then I advanced from there to a specialty manufacturer in sales. Okay. I'd been in retail sales. So I, I was in, uh, and that was an education too. You know, it's, it's a, it's part of that whole circle of life thing, right? When you're with, a, when you're a dealer, you hang out with other dealers and y'all talk and you know, you, yeah. you talk about how you don't understand manufacturers, all the <laughs> dumb things they do. And you know, the reps are a waste of your time and they make all this money at your expense and blah, 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 blah. Well, then you become a manufacturer and you hang out with all your manufacturer buddies and they're all going, God, these dealers are just so stupid. And, blah, blah, you know, and, <laughs> and I suddenly realized, you know, everybody's wrong. I mean, right. either everybody's right or everybody's wrong. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's all the perspective that you had. So by having the career like that, I was able to take the blinders off, see, you know, I think a little more, I call it sort of 3D, three dimensional thinking yeah. um, and seeing how the influences for each of these elements. And that really guided me when I was at Onkyo developing, for example, dealer programs or looking at product development, uh, very strong outreach. When I joined uh, Onkyo back in uh, 1985, um, they had one product development meeting a year. Uh, when I left, I had that completely turned around. We had, uh, we had an embedded product development person in our, uh, you know, each of the major locations, so in Germany and in Japan, obviously, and in the U.S., and we were having weekly meetings, mm-hmm. uh, all designed to try to stay closer to the market, understand the customer, develop products that you know really meet their needs, and really light their fire. And um, and so uh, when I joined Ankyo, I joined Ankyo uh, Adcom. Uh, I grew up in Michigan. Adcom was in East Brunswick, New Jersey, back then. They hired me, moved me to New Jersey, and then they made me their West re- West Coast Regional. Okay, so makes sense. <laughs> yeah, makes total sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you learn how to adapt and adopt, and obviously a lot of road trips and long and, and a lot of long hours. You know, when everybody was going home at five o'clock, my my day was really just in the heart of its day. Mm. Uh, but um, um, you know, then I went to Onkyo, and they brought me in as Eastern Regional. Hmm. And I just, you know, got advanced there, did a you know pretty good job there. And then I got advanced to national sales manager there, then vice president of sales, then vice president of sales and marketing. Then I was put on the board of directors for Onkyo US. And then I was put on an advisory board for Onkyo Japan. And I just ate all this up. This was hmm. just great. You know, I learned so much and and it just, you know, broadened my mind. And 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 that's, uh, you know, that's just what I love. Well, you and I have known each other for a long time now, and I never put it together at how diverse your career ha- has been and how that has informed who you are. And and I don't know if I know anyone who's had as diverse of a career in the CE business. There are lots of incestuous types of scenarios where people don't leave. They just keep finding new places to go in this industry. But usually, like you said, it's within a category like a manufacturer role or rep role or dealer dealer right yeah but to have it be so many different layers and add the journalism into that um it's a pretty unique perspective and i get why you have the angle that you take on things now a lot better so i appreciate that well yeah i mean that that as you can see that informs my writing on strategy yeah uh because of that that perspective that holistic perspective so yeah. Well, Ted, thanks for the uh, the extra insight and for taking the time out to chat today. 
Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is so much fun. You know, we could go on for hours if we, we really we, wanted to. We really could. We really could. <laughs> we'll do, we'll do the, the rock and roll career, uh, the music career later. We'll do that. Oh, time. boy. Yeah. Some of those stories probably aren't for public Maybe not, <laughs> consumption. Maybe not recorded, yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks again. And uh, Ted Green is president of the Stratacon Group. And you sub can subscribe to the strategy newsletter at strategy.com and that's got a hyphen in the middle after the strata part so strata-gee.com that wraps up today's show if you're new to residential tech talks please subscribe to the weekly podcast and consider rating and reviewing us on your favorite platform also check out all the latest residential tech news at the magazine's website restechtoday.com where you can also subscribe to the bi-monthly print and digital magazine and to our Tuesday and Friday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell.